Well, good morning and welcome, friends. Glad you are with us today on a rather chilly New Year's Eve. Uh, I truly hope you experience the goodness of God, the presence of his son uh, the last couple of days and weeks uh, with friends, family. And I'm excited uh, to wrap up the year with you this morning as well as kind of kick off a new year. As we do that, as we wrap up 2017 today, uh, I want to take a few minutes to look at a rather famous story, one that we've been singing about all morning long, the story of the three wise men. Uh, Because I believe that what they did thousands of years ago is actually something that all of us should should strive and commit to doing in the year to come. And so we're looking at the the story of the Magi together this morning. Glad you're here. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend again. Let me pray for us real fast and we'll uh, we'll jump into God's word. Father, uh, today is an important day uh, as we reflect and remember, look back on uh, the year that was 2017. And for some of us, Lord, it was a great year. Uh, New family members, new babies, uh, new job opportunities, a new home possibly, Lord, new experiences, new blessings. And so we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the good gifts and, and, and the wonderful new things that we experienced in 2017, God. You were the, the giver of those gifts. And so we give you the credit and we give you the praise. We just say thanks. Thanks for a good year. Thanks for good health and thanks for, uh, for family. Thanks for opportunities. Thanks for this church, God. But for others of us, God, 2017 may have been a rather difficult year, maybe the most difficult year we've ever had. Maybe we lost in ways in 2017 we've never lost before. Maybe we lost a job or our, our, our health was lost or maybe we lost a loved one. So even now, we, we give you praise for 2017, but we ask that you would help us to, to finish the year strong and, and we ask that 2018 would bring hope and joy and, and, and a newness to our lives and to our spirits. So wherever we are this morning, God, as we look back on the year that was, we just, we look to you. You were in control of that year. We believe that you were um, the one leading and guiding everything that happened to us over the last year or so. And so we, we look to you, we cling to you, we hold on to you now, God, and we just say thank you or help us or, or be with us now, Lord, wherever we are this morning, we just trust you. And, and as Lori said, we give our hearts to you. You're a good God. Whether you've given to us this last year or taken away from us, you are good. You know what you're doing. And so uh, we ask that you would be the Lord of our lives in 2018 as well. Bless us now as we enter into your word. God, would you speak to each of us? We believe that you are alive and well, that your voice is audible, that we could hear it, and that when we do, you will change us. It will, it will change everything about us. So speak to us now, Father. Um, open your word and open our minds and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, when it comes to gifts, some folks are super easy to shop for. Are they not? Uh, these are the folks, they like to be surprised, they appreciate everything they get, or they just have an Amazon list that's a mile long. And so it's just easy to buy for those folks. But there are other folks on our Christmas list that are not so easy to buy for. Right? These are the folks that they don't give you any ideas, they, they claim, oh, I don't really need or want anything, and they haven't updated their list since like the last season of Friends, because that's still on the list, the VHS version of the last season of Friends. You're like, come on, man, help me out here. When you draw this person's name in the family gift exchange, you can't help but think like, oh, great. What am I I gonna get them? They're so hard to shop for. I'm convinced that people like that, they single-handedly keep the fruit and nut industry alive this time of year. Uh, I know because my dad used to fall into this category. Every year, my three sisters and I would ask ourselves the same question. What are we going to get dad this year? I mean, he's so hard to shop for. 
He doesn't like this. He doesn't want that. He wouldn't ever use any of those. So uh, what are we going to get him? We go around for a little while. Oh, I don't know. How about um, uh, some fruits and nuts? Because nothing says Merry Christmas and I love Jesus or thank you, Jesus, more than a box of nuts. Am I right? Not sure how that ever became part of the Christmas season, but nuts. Oh, nuts. That saved many of us when it comes to people who are hard to shop for. Well, imagine if I asked you to go out and find a gift for God. Oh, talk about tough. I mean, what do you buy a being that the Bible says has it all? What do you buy the one, the God who, who made and owns the whole earth and, and everything in it? You thought grandpa was hard to shop for? Not compared to God. And yet that's the situation that a group of men called the wise men, they found themselves in, in Matthew chapter 2. These guys not only came to see Jesus after his birth, but they actually brought some gifts along with them. And I think that the gifts that they gave to God in that moment are the very same things that God would want to receive from all of us in this moment, in every moment moving forward. That's what we're going to look at and talk about this morning. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 2, if you have a Bible, open it there. If not, it'll be on the large, glorious screen behind me. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, otherwise known as Herod the Great, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So we called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and anxiously asked them, where is this Christ, this Messiah anointed one? Where were they to be born? They replied to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this was what was written about by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not in any way least among the leaders of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly sent for the Magi and learned from them the exact time that they had first seen the star, when the star had first appeared. When he sent them to Bethlehem saying, well now go and search carefully for the child and when you found him, report back to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and behold the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, continually leading the way until it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then after opening their treasure chest, they presented to him gifts fit for a king, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. It's a great story, one that we hear a lot about this time of year. So let's talk about it together just for a few minutes. Uh, visitations and new babies go hand in hand, don't they? When a new child is born, everybody wants to come over and see them or hold them for themselves. I mean, Aunt Lucy from, from Montana is thinking of coming down. You haven't seen her for years, but, but here she comes. The siblings, well, they're all planning on driving out next weekend. And your in-laws, they just found a great deal on Southwest. They're flying out tomorrow. Everybody wants to see the new baby. As soon as you give birth, you also become an Airbnb agent. You didn't realize that, right? But that's kind of how, how that works. Visitations are a huge part of it. And it appears that that has been true for quite some time. 
See, right after Jesus was born, a bunch of different people came to see him, came to visit him. Last week, we talked about the first group that came to see him, the group known as the shepherds, this group of outcasts and misfits that, that God personally invited to come and hang out and see his son. And if you missed that message on Christmas Eve, you just got to go back and listen to it. Because for some of us, it might change how we see God, how we see ourselves. And although the shepherds might have been the very first ones to visit, well, they definitely weren't the last. Matthew tells us that another group of men, known as the wise men, also made the trip to see the Christ. We aren't told much about these guys, but we are told a couple of things. It says they came from the east, which means they came from far away, probably over 800 miles, in fact, probably from the land of Persia. We're told that they were magi, which means they were highly regarded, highly educated, held positions of high honor back in their hometown. And it says they knew and actually fulfilled God's word. Isaiah 62 and 3 says this, The Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's a prophecy of the wise men, of the three kings. Something else we know about them is found in Matthew 2.11. The verse said this, after entering the house. So they come to see Jesus and they enter into the house. Well, what does that mean? What's the significance of that? Most scholars believe that means they were uh, not showing up on the scene for several weeks or months, most likely several years after Christ's birth. At that point, Mary and Joseph are no longer hanging out in the, the barn behind the inn. They're no longer hiding out in Egypt, but they're back at home now in Nazareth. So we're probably talking two or three years after the birth. So I hate to say this, but the big finale of our Christmas show, or even your nativity scene where the, the wise men are right there with the shepherds at the manger, well, that's not 100% accurate. So please direct all complaints and concerns to Steve Burns, our choir director, who put that show together. S. Burns. At, anyway, sorry. I think it's okay to depict it that way, but the story in all actuality happened and unfolded over the course of several years. So it's been years now since Jesus was born, and here come the Magi. They come to their house in Nazareth. And I bring that up because I love what Nathan said, and it's, it's what I want to reiterate this morning as well. For the Magi, Christmas wasn't over on December 26th. Typically, right after all the presents have been opened for us and after all the family has left town and gone back to their hometown, we kind of move on with life, do we not? We just kind of continue on and Christmas becomes a, a distant memory. We move past the core truths of Christ's birth, but that, that wasn't true for the Magi. For years after his birth, they, they pursued him because his birth mattered and motivated them long after the manger. The question is, does it matter to us after the manger? Does it motivate us after the manger? I know the calendars get put away and the decorations get put up, the anticipation fades, and all the symbols of the season are get put back in the basement or the attic or the garage or whatnot, but I don't want the Christmas spirit, per se, to end after Christmas. Shouldn't our pursuit of Jesus continue now? Shouldn't we be even more excited now that he has come, that he is here? I was thinking about it this way uh, over the last few days. Imagine if someone that you loved, a, a dear friend or family member, someone you've been looking forward to coming over to your house for months on end, imagine if after weeks and months of preparation and praying for their arrival, imagine if they finally showed up. 
The flight landed or the, or the car rolled into your driveway and that person you wanted to see so badly, well, they're finally here. I don't think that many of us would greet them by saying, thank you so much for coming all the way out here, but, but after this afternoon, I'm not gonna have much time for you because I'm gonna be returning gifts and, and watching college football and making resolutions. I'm gonna be so busy after that day you came that we're just not gonna really have much time together. But thanks for coming, and, and same time, same place next year, right? I wonder if that's how we treat Christ at Christmas. Like we look forward to him coming so badly, and then he comes and it's like, great, thank you so much, December 26th, we're out of here. We're moving on. Now the arrival is just the beginning, it's not the end. That's how it was for the wise men. Their commitment to Christ intensified. It continued after his birth, and I think ours should as well. Now, this man, these men, uh, we're not sure how many uh, there were. It could have been a whole group of guys, maybe 50 for that matter, but there were three gifts presented, so we assume there were three men. And, and their love of Jesus, their pursuit of Jesus, it was not only seen in, in how long they were willing to travel, but in also what they were willing to give to him. Their love for Jesus is seen in the gifts that they give to Jesus. And I love that Matthew says this, the wise men opened their treasure chests. Don't miss that. Matthew isn't just filling space on a page or being overly dramatic here. They opened their treasure chests. The gifts that these men brought in, they weren't from the dollar bin. These aren't recycled or hand-me-down gifts. They're not re-gifting anything right now. They're giving Jesus their absolute best. Jesus, you are so worthy of all that I have and all that I am. I give you out of my treasure chest. I love that. It's a great model for us to follow. Now, the first thing they gave was their treasure. This is seen and symbolized in their gift of gold. Now, we aren't told how much gold they, in fact, gave, but we're assuming it was a rather large amount, especially for a young, poor family like Mary and Joseph. They're so poor, in fact, that I don't know if you remember the story of Simeon that Nathan was talking about. When they went to the temple, you could either buy a lamb or a goat, or if you were too poor, you could buy some pigeons, some doves. Remember what they bought? They bought some pigeons. They bought some doves because they couldn't afford to buy anything else. So this is a very poor young family. So can you imagine these men coming and bringing gold? I mean, any amount of it would have been extravagant and over the top, but I think it was a very large amount of gold. I was trying to put it in modern day terms. I was thinking this would be as if you're at a baby shower and somebody gives the young couple a briefcase full of cash. Like it's full of $100 bills. Most of the guys don't like to be at the baby showers, but the guy would like to be at that one. Right, he picks up, he's like, I think that's what you do with the wad of cash, I, I don't know. But. And I would have loved to see the face on everybody else at the shower. It's like, we just got them some diapers. Like they brought a briefcase full of cash. But that, that's what this gift would have been like for them. It would have been so helpful. I mean, it would have supported this family for years and years and years. But it was also very symbolic. You see, gold represented royalty. Gold was only given to, it was reserved for the kings. So these men were most likely rich and powerful and influential in their own right back in their hometowns. But in this moment, they're submitting to, they're surrendering to, they're serving Christ. They're saying, you are the king. We might be kings in the world's eyes, but you, Jesus, you are the king of kings. Your power, your authority, your kingdom, your glory, they are so much more important than mine, than any of ours for that matter. 
And so we give you the things that mean you are so good and so worthy and that you are the king. They're more or less saying, Jesus, you are infinitely precious like this gold. And as a result, I give to you all that I deem as precious. Let me say that again. Jesus, you are infinitely precious to me. And so I give to you all that I deem as precious in my own life. Now I tried for several weeks, church, to find some symbolic meaning for the gold that these guys brought. But I think the most obvious explanation is the best. These men demonstrated their faith by sacrificing their finances. They worshiped God by giving him their wealth. And I think the same is true for us. Now I know what some of you might be thinking in this moment, like, oh great, here we go, end of the year money talk. Or oh no, here we go, I mean, all the church ever talks about or asks for is my money. Well, here at West Bowles, we wouldn't talk about money as much as we do if Jesus didn't talk about money as much as he did. Because you see, Jesus does want your money, but it's because he ultimately wants your heart. And in his eyes, those two are intricately connected, inextricably connected. Matthew 6 says this, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart. And look at this explanation, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So according to this verse, what you do with your assets shows everybody where your allegiance is, who you are aligned with. Your credit card statement, your, your bank account, your investment accounts, all of those show what your life is centered on, where, you, where your heart is, what you're basing all of life on. And if you worship anything other than God with your finances, you're going to end up bankrupt, Jesus says at some point. A stock market crash, a thief Something is going to come in and take away what you think is so important. So God says, give me your finances. I won't ever let you down. That's the best investment you could make. Give me your treasure, God says. Because when I have your treasure, I know, I really know that I also have your heart. Now I have to admit, West Bowles is full of a lot of generous people. People who have given a lot of their treasure to this place and to our efforts and ministries over the last 12 months. Let me give you a couple of updates. Uh, every week as you leave, uh, I ask you to give a dollar in the bin on the way out. It's called our Give One campaign. What we do is we pool all that money together as a church. And on Monday morning, we as a staff pray and think about who in our community is in need. And we give that money, $300, $400 sometimes, to somebody right here who was so desperate for it. Over the course of the last 11 months, I haven't calculated December yet, but through November, we raised over $12,000 in those little bins through $1 bills. With that money, church, all of you who participated in that, you helped pay someone's rent. You helped cover some utility bills so the, the heat wouldn't be turned off. You helped fix some cars so guys could get back to work. You helped people purchase gas. They could get where they were going. You helped rent some storage units so people wouldn't lose all their personal belongings. You helped somebody spend a few nights in a hotel so they didn't have to sleep outside in their car. You see, when you, when you invest in the kingdom, God, God makes that investment explode in so many ways. The dividends are so rich and so sweet. 
In addition to that Give One campaign, every month here at West Bowles, we do something called Donate One. It's where we just ask you as the church to partner with us and to partner with a local nonprofit. There are so many great nonprofit organizations in this city. We want to strengthen their efforts. And so we ask you to come and bring some supplies that will help them do what they do. Let me give you a list and just kind of rattle off some cool things we did this year as a church. In January, uh, the last couple of years, we partnered with Alternatives Pregnancy Center. We're going to do that again starting next week. And we do the baby bottles of blessing. Do you remember that? It's little baby bottles, and we ask you to put your spare change in there. Well, last January, we collected 129 bottles and over $3,000 in loose change. Went straight to that ministry to help women with unplanned pregnancies. In February, we collected diapers and wipes for Love, Inc. In March, we had 150 Chick-fil-A gift cards given for the faculty and staff at Columbine. In April, we had a bunch of new socks for the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. In May, we collected pajamas, toothbrushes, toothpaste, stuffed animals, blankets, and backpacks for children in the Collaborative Foster Care Program. In June, it was stuffed animals for the Children's Hospital. In July, it was school supplies for Jeffco Action Center. In August, it was soccer balls for the International Rescue Committee in Lakewood. And also... Uh, Dish sets and blankets and towels and pillows for a new home that the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless was opening. In September, it was 150 gift cards for the faculty and staff at Columbine again, this time Starbucks uh, uh, kind and variety. In October, it was Harvest Festival candy where over 500 guests came through our doors. In November, it was 500 pairs of shoes for souls for souls. And in December, it was countless boxes and shelves of canned food. Why? Why did all that happen? Why, how is all that possible? It's generosity. It's extravagant generosity. And God is so pleased with that gift. Not to mention your pastor. So pleased with that gift. And it's not just giving a little bit of extra. I'm talking about extravagant generosity. Giving so much more than you thought you ever could. And I don't want to just celebrate the past. God doesn't say, just now reflect on 2017, pat yourself on the back and feel really good about all you did, West Bowles Church. No, he says, greater things than these are possible. So give more, try more, trust more, keep going, church. Keep living in extravagant generosity and see what I can do, the Lord says. So I'm excited to see what he will do. So this week, I challenge you to sit down with your family. Every age, if they get allowance, sit down and talk about how much are we giving to the Lord? Are we truly honoring him with the gift of our treasures? See, sometimes we think we do a lot more than we do. I have a friend at a church. They do a pageant very similar to ours and they ask for a bunch of volunteers. He said they had 150 people sign up to volunteer their time for this Christmas show. But when he called them and emailed everybody to help out, 30 showed up. 150 said, I'm so excited to help you. 30 actually did. Those other 120, it just felt really good to say, yeah, I'll help you. But then they never did. And so many of us are probably thinking, yeah, I I give to the church. Yeah, I support the efforts of God's kingdom. Yeah, I give him my treasure. Well, sit down. Do you you really assess it this week? Because I think God is really interested and really serious about receiving from us the gift of our treasures. The wise men gave that gift, and I I think we should give it to him as well. The second gift the wise men gave was their trust. This is represented in and through the gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense is a very potent sap that comes out of trees. It's a very common tree in the the Middle East and in that region. And so you pull the sap out and then you do some different things with it. You turn it into an oil, you turn it into kind of a, a rub of some sort. It was used for a lot of different things, but most significantly, frankincense was turned into an incense and it was used by the high priest in the temple 
as he's carrying out his religious duties. Leviticus 2 says this, When anyone presents a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour olive oil over it and put frankincense on it. Bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. Out of it, they'll take a handful of the fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest will offer this up in smoke on the altar. It's an offering by fire, a sweet and soothing aroma to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That this frankincense, when given as a gift to the Lord, says it was a sweet, a soothing aroma to the Lord. I didn't know the Lord could smell, but obviously he can. And this smell of this gift of frankincense, it smells like fresh baked cookies to some of us. Smells like a barbecue pit for some of us. Like, oh, that smells good. That's how frankincense smells to the Lord. And so that's why the wise men brought it. Frankincense was believed to even be more expensive and maybe even more useful than gold. It had medicinal purposes at that time that nothing else really had. So again, this is a very helpful and practical gift that the wise men are giving to this young, poor family, but it's also a very symbolic gift. There's great meaning and significance in this gift. The gold is meant to honor Jesus as the king. Well, the frankincense is meant to honor him as a high priest, the one who would bring the people back to God. More than that, this gift is meant to honor Jesus as God. They're saying as they give him frankincense, you are the Lord. The wise men knew that that Jesus, much more than just teaching them truth, he was the truth. More than just speaking about a way, they knew that Jesus was the way. More than just kind of explaining things about God, Jesus would reunite them with God. The gift of frankincense speaks to the amount of trust that we have in Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, you trusted the high priest. The high priest was the one that would bring all your sins to the Lord. The high priest would bring your offerings to the Lord. The high priest was the one who brought you closer to the Lord. And so these men are saying, Jesus, you are the one more than anybody else in all of history who will bring me back to God. And I trust you. I trust that you will give me life now and forever. So this gift is all about trust. And one of the most powerful ways that we can give uh, to Christ is to give him our trust. That's a gift that he wants so badly. The phrase trust in the Lord, it's used over 80 times throughout the scripture. The Lord is serious about this. I love Jeremiah 39, 18. Because you trusted me, I will give your life as a reward. I will rescue you and keep you safe. So God is looking for his people to give him the gift of their trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust, really trust, that that when you serve the least of these in our society, that you are literally serving Jesus himself? Do Do you trust that? And if so, then why don't we do it more often? Do we trust, do we really trust that God is the one who will grant us the desires of our heart? Do we trust him in that? And if so, why do we run everywhere else and to everyone else for satisfaction? Do we trust, do we really trust that we'll be healed and forgiven when we confess the things that we're messing around with and struggling with? Do we really trust Jesus when he said that? If so, then why don't we confess more frequently? Do we trust, do we really trust that the Lord will restore unto us the years that we have lost or the tears that we have shed? Do we really trust him in that? If so, then why are we still so mad at our abuser or our attacker or even at God himself? Do we trust, do we really trust that God will lift up the humble, that he will honor those who do not return evil for evil, but return evil with good? Do we trust him on that? If so, then why are we so quick to punch somebody back after they punch us? Do we trust him? Do we really trust Jesus? 
to bring us back to God? Do we really trust Jesus to give us life? I hate to say it, but I think far too many of us live a double life. We say we trust God in this room, but as soon as we walk out of this room, we look and think and act like the rest of the world. We take matters into our own hands. We start to do things like everybody else does them. That's not okay. We need to trust him. We need to trust that he is good in here, but he's also good out there. That he knows what he's doing with religious stuff, but Jesus also knows what he's doing with all your other stuff. We need to trust him that his grace is amazing. And it's not just a song. It's a reality. It's a truth. You see, God doesn't force you to trust him. And God doesn't force you to give you to, or for you to give him your treasure. And so these are gifts that, that you have to bring to him. These are gifts that you have to give him because he's not gonna take them from you. He's not gonna come in and strong arm you and, and force you to do these things, saying, if you wanna trust me, I would love to receive that gift in 2018. I'd love for you to trust me with all your heart in 2018. So ask yourself, in addition this week to, am I giving God my treasure? Am I really giving him my treasure? In addition to asking that question, ask yourself this question, in what areas of my life am I not trusting the Lord? In what areas of my life am I only trusting myself? In what areas of my life am I taking things into my own hands? In what areas of my life am I totally living outside of God's wisdom or God's ways? In what, in what ways am I trying to ramrod things through or force things because I want them so bad? Do you trust the Lord? It's a question that I think we all need to answer for 2018. And if you want to worship Christ the way the Magi did, then give him your trust. God, I trust you. I trust that although you took somebody from me this last year, I trust that you will fill that void. I trust that even though it's really hard right now, God, that you are shaping and molding me in the way that you want me to go. You help me become more like the person you originally intended me to be. I trust you in that. You know, my life is so chaotic right now and the kids keep screaming and I'm so, I'm so just stressed out. I trust that you are doing good through me. Even though it doesn't feel like I'm doing any good right now, I trust you, God. I trust you. Do you trust him? Oh, it's a gift that, that he wants to receive so badly for you. So even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't, if no one else is doing it, even if it seems foolish, even if no one else will do it, will you trust the Lord? Will you give him that gift in 2018? That brings us to our last, last gift this morning, and then we'll do a little bit more uh, worship together. The last gift the wise men presented was myrrh. Now, myrrh's a little bit different for some of us. We don't have a lot of experience with this, but it's similar to frankincense. It's a sap that you actually pull out of a, a bush, another bush that's very common in that, uh, that day and age in that part of the world. Uh, and myrrh, uh, again, would be turned into an oil or a cream or a perfume. And really what you would use myrrh for would be to anoint and cover a dead body. It's kind of an odd one for us, but it's a way that you kind of protected the skin of the dead body. It's a way you helped kind of cover the gross odor on a dead body. You, you would literally just kind of rub it down and cover it with myrrh. So in giving Christ this gift, do you see what they're foreshadowing? Do you see what they're pointing towards? Yes, he's a babe and a child right now, but there will be one day where he's a man. And as a man at age 33, he will, he will die. He will die a very brutal death. And we will have to prepare his body. We'll have to cover it with myrrh. We will have to put him in the ground, put him in the grave. But more than that, I think this gift is speaking of Christ's humanity. They're saying, Christ, you are going to make a great sacrifice for us. Christ, you are going to serve us in ways that no one else ever will. You are going to suffer in a way that nobody else ever has. Myrrh was bitter. It didn't smell good. It was like, oh, wow, oh, myrrh. 
I guess it was better than a dead body smell, but probably not by much. And so myrrh, because of its bitterness, is kind of speaking to the bitterness of life, the bitterness of Jesus' life, but also the bitterness of our life. We know what myrrh smells like in a symbolic sense. Life is tough. Life is hard. Things don't work out. There's a lot of pain and regret and shame and frustrations. That's all represented in myrrh. So the beautiful thing about Christ's suffering and his trials is that he can now relate and sympathize with our sufferings and our trials, exactly what Hebrews chapter four says. And like the wise men back in the day, it's okay today, it's okay to give God your myrrh. It's okay to say, God, this stinks. God, this is painful. God, I'm really frustrated right now. God, this myrrh, like, like my life, I just feel like things are dying and falling apart, not working out the way that, that I want to. God, I'm suffering. God, I'm in pain here. I just, I just give it to you, God. And I love that Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll take your myrrh. Actually, I want it. I want that. It's an acceptable gift to offer to the Lord. It's okay to give him your fears and your frustrations, even your failures. It's okay to give him your pain and your shame. It's okay to give him your heartache and your sadness. In fact, he wants it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, Jesus says. Bring it on. Bring it on. If you've got burdens and trials, if you are overwhelmed right now, if you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, come to me. Give it to me. I'll take it away from you. I'll give you rest. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? Christ wants to take the things that are holding you down and holding you back. He wants to take them. He'll receive them as a gift. And he'll exchange them for rest. See, God doesn't want just like the nice, pretty, neat little Thomas, the one that's all polite, like shakes your hand. God wants the raw and the mean Thomas. He wants the Thomas like, I don't understand this, God. And why did she have to pass away? And why isn't this working out? And why are finances still so tight? He wants that from me. He wants you to be so authentic with him. Here's my myrrh. Like, I don't know what to do with it. But I'm suffering right now. I'm in pain right now. Here it is. She's like, thank you. Thank you. He's ready to carry whatever it is that you're carrying. So give it to him. Give it to him. All right, so church, it turns out, man, it turns out God's really easy to shop for. I mean, it turns out he wants our treasures. He wants our trust. And he wants our trials. That's what the myrrh represents. I'm going to ask the band to come back up because we're going to sing about this just for a few more minutes together. The hardest part of this message, guys, is probably not finding the gift to give to God. We, we just found them. The hardest part of this is going to be giving these gifts to God. We know what he wants. We know what he's asked for. We know what others have given over the years, and so now it's our turn. Will we give him these gifts? But I firmly uh, believe, and I'm going to end with this, that, that when we worship him through these gifts, or when we give him these gifts, we are, in fact, worshiping him in a way that, that nothing else will do, or, or in a way that nothing else will worship him. We're worshiping him in powerful and profound ways. I'm not sure if you noticed this or not, but worship, it is, it is part of this Magi story from the beginning. Remember the first words out of the Magi's mouth? We want to know where this Christ is. We've seen his star on the east. We want to go and worship him. It says when they come into the house, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And then it says after they saw the child, they fell down and worshiped him. These are my kind of guys. These are the kind of guys that will shout amen throughout a sermon. Amen. <laughs> a few Magi in here. Okay, good. These are a few guys that only raise their hand, but in worship, they raise a few eyebrows. Okay? I'm not saying they're Pentecostal, but these guys are passionate. 
And they, they, they thought worship was this, this offering of these gifts, giving God their treasure, giving God their trust, and giving God their trials. That, that was the fullest expression of worship they could offer the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that a powerful lesson for us? We typically assume that worship begins and ends when these guys begin and end, or when the choir begins and ends. But the wise men show us worship. It's not about what I get. Worship's about what I give to the Lord. Worship, worship is not about what I receive or what I feel. It's about what I offer to God. Worship is not about what I sing. Worship is about what I bring. And are you bringing to the Lord these gifts, the gifts of treasure, trust, and trial? I know it sounds crazy that we would give God a gift. But there are things in this world that he does not have unless you give it to him. There are things in this life that he wants so badly from you, but you have to voluntarily hand them over to him. God, here they are. And I have to think that after two or three years, maybe the excitement of Christmas had worn off. After two or three years, maybe Mary and Joseph kind of forgot about the visitations. After two or three years, maybe they thought, well, maybe Jesus, he was super spectacular at his birth, but now the rest of his life, he's just gonna be kind of normal. Three years had passed and the Magi show up and the Magi are like, you have no idea who this kid is. This kid is the king of kings. This kid is, this kid is the one who's gonna bring us back to God. And this kid is the one who's gonna take all of our trials on his own shoulders. See, the Magi were able to remind Mary and Joseph of just how important Jesus is. And church, I'm here to tell you, when you give God these three gifts in this year, you will remind other people who so quickly forget about Jesus, you will remind them of his importance and his significance. You will remind them of his beauty and his magnificence. You'll remind them, Jesus, don't forget about him. As you give your treasure, as you give your trust, as you give God your trials, you will be worshiping the Lord. And a lot of other people are gonna notice it. So let me pray us out and then we'll finish with a couple more songs. God, thank you. Thank you for being the God who, who like partners with us, God, and, and a God who interacts with us. It'd be so easy, Lord, for you, the God of the heavens and the earth, to just stand out there in some ivory tower so far, so distant, so removed from us, God, and just never interact, never talk, never do anything with us. But that's not who you are at all. You come down to us. And Lord, you interact with us and you allow us to come to you. You allow us to see you. You allow us to talk to you and you allow us to bring gifts to you. Thank you, God, that you are a God who, who asks for these things because I believe that, that we are better as we bring these gifts to you. And so this year, God, we ask that as a church, we would each give you the gift of our treasure. We have so much. We've been blessed so much, Lord. And to those who have received much, much is gonna be asked, much is gonna be required, you say in your word. And so help us to give much this year. Help us say, God, it's you and your kingdom, not my own. It's you and your name, not my own, God. It's you and your life, not my own. Help us to give you our treasure so you can do incredible things with it this year. Lord, help us to give you our trust. Many of us believe in you, but it's so easy when the world comes in or when, when the boss comes in or when the spouse comes in, we forget about you and we take matters into our own hands and we forget about your word and your ways and your truth and your wisdom. And so God, we just say, would you help us to trust you in all areas of our life? Some of us are making a mess right now when it comes to addictions. Help us to trust you, God, that those who are pure in heart will see you one day and that in every moment of temptation and trial, you give a way out. There's some of us who are making a mess of relationships. We're sleeping around, God, or we're, we're flirting with people we shouldn't be flirting with. So help us to be true and faithful to you, to other people in our life. 
There are others in this room who are making a mess of their finance. Other people in this room making a mess of their parenting. Other kids in this room are making a mess of, of how they're respecting their parents. God, help us to trust you. You know what is right. You've told us what is right. Help us to walk in what is right. God, also help us to, to give you our trials. Many of us in this room, probably most of us, are carrying something rather difficult right now. And so we just say, God, here's our myrrh. Here's our suffering. Here's our pain. Here's the things that are frustrating us right now. God, we give them to you. And you're such a good God that you would take that and receive it as a gift and exchange it for rest and peace. Thank you, God. We want to honor you like the Magi did. We want to honor you like the Magi did. Help us to give you the gift that they did in the upcoming year. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.